You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Venerable. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We are your complete cards coverage, part of the SB Nation network. My name is Blake Murphy on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. I'm joined by my co-host, Johnny Venerable, also on Twitter at the same as it sounds. John, we get to kind of wrap up this free agent frenzy that the Arizona Cardinals um, after our last show ended with Matt Prater signing with the team just as we are about to go and start our recording, it's been pretty quiet overall since. You have a few signings that the Cardinals have made, a lot of silence on the cornerback market, and a potential running back is signed away. Um, right now, it feels like things are relatively pretty much done outside of maybe one or two more signings, but at least the overall free agent splash has come to a close, which means that we'll get to pivot a bit more and focus on the NFL draft and the process behind that. Uh, Before we get into all of that with the latest Cardinals news, John, uh, how are you doing and how are you adjusting to life out in the desert? It's awesome, man. We're really enjoying it. My family and I uh, have been settled. Welcome in, everybody. Thanks for, for tuning in and be a lot better, I will say, if we had a little bit more of that, that cardinal news that we got a week ago. It was kind of like information overload for what seemed like 72 hours. We, You and I couldn't even fit all of it into our last show. It was coming out so fast and heavy. And since then, it has really tapered off. Not free agency as a whole. We get about two to three marquee signings per day. Um, but the Cardinals have been relatively quiet. And, Blake, before we get into... The market itself, I do think it's important that we briefly touch on their salary cap situation and something that you and I have been tracking for a little while. The notion that Justin Pugh, the team's starting left guard, and by all accounts, probably their most consistent lineman over the last couple years, was, I assumed, was on the block, either to be dealt, to be cut, traded, what have you. Before yesterday... Justin Pugh had a cap hit for this year of $11 million for uh, 2021. And what we had seen in late February, early March, before free agency was a bunch of high-profile guards making eight figures plus were being released. And the Cardinals were very quiet on Pugh. And I just assumed that, you know, as a post-June first cut, that he would have saved the team, I think, roughly $9 million with only $2 million in dead cap. And especially after they secured Rodney Hudson and then subsequently signed free agent guard Brian Winters, who could see time in the starting lineup, certainly helps with debt purposes. I'm like, what's what's going on with Justin Pugh? We haven't heard from him. They brought back Kelvin Beecham. Josh Jones is going to have a chance to play guard. And it came out a couple days ago or yesterday, if you're listening to this on, on Thursday, came out on Tuesday that Justin Pugh just he straight took a pay cut. He took a pay cut, I think, roughly $4 million. His cap number this year goes from right around $11 million to just under seven. Wants to stay in Arizona, put out a really nice tweet saying, you know, he took a pay cut, wants to win a ring here, finish what they've started. Um, and just, I was not expecting that. I, I just assumed that either the team would let him go and, and kind of check out the market. And who knows, his agent might have said, we're going to kind of explore what your market would be, and maybe it's better off for you to just take a pay cut. 
Um, but he's got his guaranteed money, which is good. This contract has been, you know, very generous. He's get, he gets $14 million, $4 million this year regardless. But just a player the caliber of Pew who, listen, he's not a Pro Bowl player. And I think that was the hardest part for a lot of fans to stomach is that can you be paying guys eight-figure salaries in 2021 when they're not Pro Bowl-level players? I mean, you look at the top three players on the Cardinals roster this year in terms of guaranteed salary and cap number, specific cap number. Chandler Jones is making almost $21 million, DJ Humphreys is making almost $20 million, and Hopkins is making 12.5. And then you've got Rodney Hudson, oh, by the way, who's just under $10 million. So it's, if you're going to be making eight figures, you better be a borderline Pro Bowl All-Pro player especially in a year the cap goes down and so Pew's number of 11 million just kind of stuck out and so you know it was a fan pointed this out to me on Twitter yesterday before any of this came out that the Cardinals suddenly went from like 600,000 in cap space to four million dollars and it was because Pew took a pay cut so I'd just be anxious to hear your thoughts on that because that that really has been their only major financial move maneuver that they've made in this free agency outside of Robert Alford interesting john is the question that i think a lot of fans have is is this a move that pew did to stay and remain with the team because otherwise he may have been a cap casualty we can talk about how the cardinals brought back brian winters uh, i should say brought back mark max garcia the offensive lineman who just seems to follow sean coogler around as a backup wherever he goes and they brought in brian winters who has at least i believe it's some 60 plus starts in the nfl long time buffalo bill the question I think some people had was, is this one of those moves that Pew did where he would have potentially been a, you know, released by the team for some of the cap space? As we talked about, having $4 million, while you still need to put draft picks under contract, fill out the rest of your roster, there's at least more moves that Arizona is likely to make. And obviously there's ways you can play around with that. I think you could look at, you know, the likes of DJ Humphrey's contract, Chandler Jones extension, we already talked about how J.J. Watt essentially uh, signed for about $15 million a year but pushed money back so that he could spread it over a few years. This is a actual straight pay cut that he took, and some of that, I think, honestly, if you're talking about the market of where things are at with 2000 and. Uh, 21 a lot of the free agent money is dried up there's not like guys who would be probably handing out pew more than a one-year deal at this point and it wasn't like it was too much of a loss for pew if you're looking at the uh, ultimatum his salary being reduced from 9.25 to 5 million with 4 million in guarantees it was probably about the same 4 million in guarantees altogether we'd talked about how if he was released you'd save some of that cap it makes me think at least that it's a combination of Pew recognizing he's in a good spot and a good place in Arizona and also recognizing it's not like if you're given the choice, hey, we've had everything that's gone on in 2020 has meant that all of us in our all of our departments all across we're all taking pay cuts for the most part. Or you could, you know, say, hey, I'm not going to take a pay cut. All right, well, you can get let go. Try to see who's going to be available. It seems like it makes a bit of sense in this regard. And honestly, when you're talking about uh, the likes of what Pew has said about wanting to finish out his career in Arizona, uh, he's a 32-year-old player. Not to say that, you know, we've seen some linemen who play up until they're, you know, 36, 37 and still be able to be effective. I think what it really shows ultimately is, it was a benefit for the Cardinals to be able to add in talent, and it was a benefit. It wasn't too much of a detractor for Justin Pugh. Obviously, there's more money he could have made, 
But if it came down to the choice of, hey, you could stay here and be able to, you know, make that guaranteed money or get released into the market, still have that money that's guaranteed, I think at least part of what it shows to me is he was willing to stay in Arizona looking at this team optimistically, seeing that this is going to be a potentially competitive team. And the fact that he now is going to hit the free agent market in 2022 I believe that the Cardinals, the way they'd originally structured, the 2023 had been kind of a contract year where essentially, you know, there's, you know, Cardinals could maybe have a bit of money pushed back into that one. We kind of call them ghost years, apparently, to fit under the cap. Uh, it's not really a, a real year since there's not real guaranteed money. When you look at all of those things together, I think it totaled up to the fact that Pew saw it as worthwhile to reduce what his overall salary would be to be able to stay in Arizona in a good situation. And it also shows, I think, a lot of places, a player who's able to bank on himself for a year, recognizing, hey, there's going to be bigger paydays down the road. There's going to be, and for some places, just ease of use. Like, you don't have to suddenly move your kids out of school and try to move in, you know, into a whole brand new spot in May or April. Uh, obviously, the situation that's been here, he had his best season probably as a pro last season. I believe he finished ninth overall in pass blocking. So this is one of those strange places, John, where I think part of the reason why it had been discussed overall was, you know, is he just going to be outright released because the team needs to get cheaper and maybe they... A lot of fans, I think, felt they could do better, and I never felt that that was the case. I always felt like he was going to be here as a solid guy that you want on your team, a veteran leader, a guy who worked on being able to improve, a guy who even we had an interaction one time where he had a false start, and he even said that he owned up to it and said, hey, here's reason behind why I did that. I'm not going to try to give up my advantage. I'll keep working on the penalties. And in that regard, John, I think that this shows that this is a move the Cardinals, you want to find guys like these who are willing to be able to, you know, do what's best kind of for the team overall. That's what I think really fans want. Obviously, it's a mercenary league, but this is a spot at least where I think that in a lot of ways, Justin Pugh, not necessarily say any type of redemption was needed, but I think that he earned himself a few more fans who've been perhaps maybe a little overly critical of him last year when he should have been because he played at a solid level last season, solidifying that left side along with DJ Humphreys. Yeah, I agree. And listen, I, I'm right there with you. I think a lot of people just assume maybe reading into at least my tweets that I was rooting for the release to happen. And I uh, nothing can be further from the truth. It, it all just comes back to the fact that the cap is reduced this year. The Cardinals have additional needs. I mean, as we're recording this on, you know, March 24th, they have they have no corners outside of Byron Murphy that are that are capable on the roster right now. Um, with all due respect to to Robert Alford, who hasn't played football in two years, and and they have very limited funds. And it it just to me trying to read through the lines of Sean Coogler saying that Josh Jones is is a contender for guard. Justin Murray got a nice extension last year. He was the starting right guard at the end of the season bringing in Rodney Hudson, so you're splurging on a center. Maybe you go cheaper at, at guard at that point. Kelvin Beecham's back now as your starting right tackle, and then you bring a player like Brian Winters on board. And again, he's not a, a contender per se, and, and Max Garcia's making under a million dollars, but they have options now. And so all of that kind of added up to me that, okay, are they are they trying to say something with Pew? Because certainly you, you could add in the draft. What if a, you know, a quintessential top guard falls to them in the middle rounds that they want to take? I just think that they were loading up for something, and I do believe that they went to Justin and they, and they said, you got to take a pay cut 
or we're going to probably outright release you. Nobody was going to take on Pew for his $11 million cap hit. Um, so the two sides were able to work something out. And it is. It's in the best interest of the team. It's in the best interest of Kyler Murray. We could see the best version of Justin Pugh next year, which is probably going to be a quote-unquote contract year, a prove-it year alongside an all-pro center and a what we think is a Pro Bowl caliber left tackle. I mean, the left side of your offensive line, if you include Rodney Hudson now, should be very formidable for this team. And at the end of the day, if you're invested in the offensive line, it's a good thing. And while I am, you know, not we're none of us are happy with the state of the secondary right now. I, I, none of us can complain about if you get the Justin, the best version of Justin Pugh in Arizona next year at just under $7 million, that's going to be well worth it, especially when you consider he's a great locker room guy, seemed to be well-liked by his teammates, clearly wants to stay in Arizona, took a pay cut, could have seen what else was out there. Maybe somebody overpays him. But right now, I think the biggest thing you can take away from this is you've got perhaps the deepest offensive line group that you've had that since since I can remember, a lot of people want to compare just the top end talent to that 2015 team with Ayupati and Valdir on the left side, and I get it. You know, Bobby Massey was solid on the right side, but you've you know you had Ted Larson kind of mixing and matching in there. You, you had some some issues, I thought, at center and, and right guard that you had some liabilities. If this unit plays up to its capabilities next year, and I certainly believe they have a superior offensive line coach in Sean Kluger than they did six years ago. I think they have a chance to be the, the deepest position group on the team, certainly. And maybe we see the best offensive line that we've seen since they've come into Arizona. You've got you've got three players up front in Pew, um, Rodney Hudson, and Gigi Humphreys who could all make a Pro Bowl on their best year. And then I'm really excited with the young possibilities at right guard. Would love to see Josh Jones get in there. And then Kelvin Beecham was very steady last year. If they just get that version of him from from a year ago, they're in really good shape. And by all accounts, he should be better because that was his first year playing right right tackle for 16 games. So, you know, all in all, Blake, I, I just think that we're not talking enough, or at least the national media isn't talking enough about how the Arizona offensive line, albeit it could be just for one year, I think could be a top 10 unit in the NFL. And goodness, we've never been able to say that. So if you're Kyler Murray, you've got to be smiling at that notion, especially, you know, as you consider the fact that they're going to revamp this run game here with it, with a back here in the next six weeks. And, and that young man, along with Chase Edmonds is it's, they're going to, that's going to pay dividends in the long run. Yeah. And John, to even kind of put something into Justin Pugh's camp, it's not like he had to take a pay cut because if you're looking at the Cardinals guard situation, you know, they did sign Brian Winters while he's had 79 starts. He signed late last year. And had a, uh, I believe he went to IR on a season-ending injury, was finally released after seven years with the team in 2020. He was released in August 2nd, which, you know, when you're talking about that, that's training camp time, essentially. They were ready to move on. He's signing a one-year deal looking to compete. Not that he's going to be given that job, but if that's the person who, between him and Max Garcia, who we've seen sporadically on a few snaps over the years... It's not like that the Cardinals had, you know, leverage outside of, yeah, we'll put this second-year, third-round pick who's not played guard before in at guard, or we'll put some of these older players who are more of a backup level. So this is kind of a case where Pew could have definitely just said, no, I'm going to keep up my current salary. The fact that he chose to make that difference, I think, is definitely a sign of leadership. What we talk a lot of times about with leadership is that idea of, in a league that's very mercenary level, being able to self-sacrifice is, in a lot of different ways, a good sign of leadership, as well as just performance and solid play on the field. 
So in that regard, like even to compare, uh, there's been no, there's been some talk at least about a Chandler Jones potential extension. The idea seems to cement around the idea that Arizona would like to extend him. Jones would obviously like to stay in Arizona. He seemed like that either was battling injuries last year for whatever reason, but there's been nothing new at least on that front that seems to be forthcoming. He's scheduled to be an unrestricted free agent next year. Now, obviously, if the Cardinals choose to, they could probably franchise tag him up to two times. That would be pretty expensive, especially when you're talking about the salary cap. Um, even if it does manage to explode, you're going to be you know, talking about paying Kyler Murray. So if it comes down to the fact that Jones says, hey, I'm just going to keep holding on, you know, try to push and see what happens, or if it's a spot of, hey, let's see if we can look at the deal, what the franchise tag would be over the next two years, and then pull out the other, a three-year deal that essentially gives you an extra year of security. Perhaps that still could happen, but the fact that, you know, the Cardinals haven't come to Chandler Jones looking at that $20 million cap hit, at some point there's going to probably need to be something done. The fact that Pew is able to go through and volunteer to do this first, I think eases things up quite a bit for Arizona as far as, you know, you could sign one or two guys on the vet minimum deal while they're still out there before needing to go back to the well and rework a whole lot of contracts. Now, what we have left, at least, John, right now, has been questions about a couple of positions. Now, we've seen how the Cardinals were able to, you know, they released their backup kicker. Zane Gonzalez is no longer there. Matt Prater is the guy moving forward, and that's going to be interesting. If you look at where he was at uh, essentially a year ago uh, in 2020, he was 21 of 28 overall on field goals when it came to extra points. You know, he was 38 of 41. Pretty good as far as, it, you know, 75% of the field goals made. What I thought was really interesting is if you compare that to the likes of Zane Gonzalez, Zane Gonzalez was at 72.7, so about 73%. So what I think is interesting with this, John, is it's not that much of a difference as far as the actual stats that it comes down to their kicking situation. And, you know, we didn't get a chance to talk about Prater much since he had just signed with the team. But I think the idea of it being a more veteran presence versus the idea of Zane being such a young kicker, you know, like he was born in 1995. So as a guy we're talking about is like maybe one of the first or second guys from Gen Z who's missing some of these clutch kicks versus an older veteran who's seen some of the ups and downs. I think at least that a lot of Cardinals fans have a lot at least more confidence knowing that Prater has survived up until this point. And like we saw even last year, you know, they signed a veteran kicker. He missed a needed field goal for the Cardinals in the season finale against the Rams. You still at least can understand physically declining skills for older kickers, knowing that the mental game at least is still set. Talk a little bit about what you think about Prater, and is there a chance that Zane could even be, you know, signed back with the team to compete with him in camp should the 36-year-old maybe not show the same leg that he used to have? No, I think this is an all-in move. It's um, something that was necessary. It was needed um, because of the fact that this team lost a couple games that kept them from the postseason via the leg of, of Zane Gonzalez. And listen, Matt, Matt Prater is not a perfect player at this point. I don't want to sit here and dump on on Zane Gonzalez because goodness knows we, we've done that enough. And hopefully he finds success elsewhere. But you're getting a kicker, you know, a multi-pro bowl kicker who – 
is only 37 years old, and for kickers, that's relatively young, was perfect last year from 20 yards to 39 yards out. Was 4 for 4 from 20 to 29, 7 for 7 from 30 to 39. That's that's automatic. That's what the Cardinals need because we've seen, like, the Cardinals have really no issue getting in or close to the red zone. And if they're going to have continued issues, and we hope not, in short yardage and converting touchdowns, uh, he's going to be important from, you know, 39 yards in. Now, where it gets a little bit dicey from last year is he was only set four of seven from 40 to 49, but he was six for 10, 50 plus. And everybody knows by now he has, I think, the NFL record for the longest field goal ever kicked when he was with the Denver Broncos back in 2013, 64 yards. Yep. But he consistently bangs him home from 55 plus yards out. Perfect for inside a dome stadium like Arizona, very similar to Ford Field where he's been kicking. Um, I, I think that this is just a great addition because here's here's the thing. I, will, I want a continued aggressive approach by Cliff Kingsbury. I want continued, um, you know, aggressiveness on short yardage. And I think with the addition of Rodney Hudson, you know, another year on under his belt on the offensive line for somebody like Justin Maria, Josh Jones, and adding uh, an aggressive nature up front, a nastiness up front on the offensive line, they're going to convert more of those short yardage. And if they come away with a you know certain running back in the first or second round of the NFL draft, that's going to aid that. But where the Cardinals need assistance is on these fourth and longs within their you know the opponent's 50 50 yard side of the field and they have to make some of these kicks it never felt like with Zane Gonzalez and Mike Nugent last year that they were ever in a position where to steal three points from the other team it always felt like they were kind of scratching and clawing and every time it felt kind of earned which is a weird way to phrase it but you know hear me out I always just thought that you know the team was in a position where when they kicked a field goal, it was always kind of demoralizing because it was short yardage. They couldn't convert it. It was a chip shot field goal, certainly the case two years ago. But with Prater now, even if it's fourth and 14 and he's got to make one from 57 yards out, you feel like that's obtainable for a player like him. So I think this is more for kind of the the big boy kicks, certainly in, in crunch time, but also you know, if Cliff continues his aggressive nature and they continue to upgrade some of their offensive offensive weaponry, Prater is there to knock home three points when the down and distance is long enough not to go for it. And I think he is the kind of the perfect complement to this team. Zane Gonzalez to me never had the leg. He wasn't consistent enough, kind of all over the place. Prater's not perfect, but I think his demeanor and certainly his kicking game matches Arizona Arizona is very very much an all-or-nothing offense you got Kyler Murray scrambling for touchdowns on like second and 30 last year I mean it's just kind of all or nothing right now for better or for worse and that's what Prater is is he may miss a 42 yarder but he may make a 57 yarder and to me the upside is just so much higher with with a player like him my good friends a diehard Detroit Lions game so I've seen a lot or Detroit Lions fans so I've seen a lot of Matt Prater football and goodness he I mean he beat Arizona in their building last year so um, while he's not going to be the kid from Atlanta that's fantastic some of these kickers in their prime that are going to the Hall of Fame he, he is an upgrade for sure and that might be enough to push them over the top on special teams. Absolutely. The Cardinals are already running it back with punter Andy Lee on a one-year deal at age 38. And then at age uh, 36, you have Matt Prater. It reminds me a lot of the, I think it was the Jay Feely and Andy Lee 
I remember uh, Phil Dawson. That was the one. It was after uh, Jay Feely's time. Phil Dawson and Andy Lee. This was the year after Steve Kime had essentially tried to go super cheap at the specialist position on special teams. Uh, everyone remembers, I think it was Cameron Canada, the long snapper. Now you don't even, most fans probably couldn't even name Aaron Brewer the Cardinals long snapper since he's just been so consistent. Uh, shows at least that there is an aspect of veteran players that is on average more valuable than the NFL rookies. And that's something that I think that I agree with you. If it becomes an issue, you know, you cross that bridge when you come to it. But for now, it seems that he's at least got that consistency. He also did kick a game-winning field goal, uh, essentially, against Arizona in that Detroit Lions game. Uh, let's move and talk a little bit about the positions that are left on the team. Uh, just to kind of re it's a little bit of a uh, last talk on Justin Pugh I just remembered from looking at my notes. Uh, the Raiders essentially went through a whole deal where they restructured Marcus Mariota's uh, contract. He took a pay cut, and essentially you can talk about that being an almost unwilling pay cut, where the money had dried up, he was going to get released, wasn't going to get paid. There's a way to handle things as far as when it comes to pay cuts that is damaging, and there's a way that I think that you can at least do it where it's at least a fair enough result for player and team even if it mostly ends up being a detractor on the play on the players' overall earnings, um, I think that you can also look at the Rodney Hudson deal with Arizona, uh, with how the Raiders essentially were like, "Hey, we're going to release you," and then it turned into, you know, ah, on second thought, we're going to trade you. They deal him to the Cardinals. Hudson did not really get into the specifics of that deal. Seems very likely, John, that he may have wanted to go to a different team, perhaps, maybe even, you know, go to another team, take less. He didn't comment on that, so he's glad to be in the desert, and I think the Cardinals at this point need him. We've at least seen, for the most part, the fact that the Arizona Cardinals, maybe it's not like this, uh, you know, the Patriots people taking less to play with Tom Brady organization, but at least it's somewhat on its way to that point. What seems to be missing for the most part, John, right now is a couple of key spots that fans have had questions about. Uh, obviously, you could talk about who's the backup quarterback going to be. We know that when the Cardinals moved to Chris Streveler last year, we saw that there was pretty much no type of offense that was able to be generated. Like It's almost number one pick bad, which is a pro and a con, I think, of structuring everything around Kyler Murray's ability. We can talk a little bit about linebacker. There's probably at least one more addition that they need to make at that spot. But the real focus, at least, John, that every Cardinals fan has been hammering and hammering is where are the cornerbacks? And I think that's what we should probably talk about, John, is is it reasonable to think that the Cardinals are making the right decision by you know waiting for so long, waiting for the money to dry up, and then corners start taking less to you know add some value for their play compared to the level of you know, the caliber of dollars they're getting, or is this kind of Steve Kime, you know, like essentially, you know, he's got a 17 in blackjack and he looks at the deck and goes, all right, hit me. I'm going to go ahead and take the risks going to be there because a lot of Cardinals fans are getting pretty antsy for the most part. And it's even kind of turned into the Cardinals Twitter meme of where are the cornerbacks, Steve, it's, where are they? It's, it's frustrating yet. Like it's a, it's a great case study because the team literally has one capable corner on the roster in Byron Murphy, who played roughly 65 to 70% of the snaps last year. 
and we're high on him, but he's not a proven commodity in the sense that, you know, he's not a borderline Pro Bowl player yet. He was the 33rd overall pick the year Kyler Murray was selected first overall by the team in 2019. We have high hopes for him, but he's making $2 million this year. That's our highest paid corner on the roster. And granted, at the recording of this podcast, they only have roughly $4 million left in cap space, and it's been reported by uh, Arizona sports John Gambadaro does a great job, said that the team was looking to sign multiple corners for cheap or for the veteran minimum. And I, I don't know if that's – is that even possible right now as, as we sit here on March 24th? I, I'm looking at the notable corner market. I put together a list. I know you've got it handy, Blake. And, you know, Richard Sherman, Malcolm Butler, these Quentin Dunbar, these guys aren't taking veteran minimums. So I just – I don't know. You You – I am pro going all in on the pass rush. I've been that way the entire offseason because I've seen plenty of Cardinal teams that had quality secondaries, Pat P in their prime. But in today's NFL, the receivers, you can't touch them. Just go with an elite pass rush, and I I think you can make even the most average corner look above average. Um, So I'm all in for that. Marcus Golden, J.J. Watt, Isaiah Simmons, Chandler Jones, you know, I'm I'm a big Zach Allen fan. We'll see what we get from Jordan Phillips. Like their their front their front seven should be able to get pressure, like they did a year ago. I think even more so. So what does that mean for the back end? I I just I'm just having a tough time because you know every day there seems to be another one that comes off the board. Everybody was kind of enamored with Adoree Jackson. He's you know out the window. Went to the Giants. There I know there my buddies who cover the team for Tennessee that said there was a little bit of a, uh, you know, a maturity issue, especially rehabbing back from his injury. Once I heard that, I knew that kind probably wouldn't be interested. Um, so I, I haven't been able to tie a lot of these remaining guys left to Arizona. I mean, I'm a big Bashad Breeland fan because I think his game is very Peterson esque where it's like kind of all or nothing, a little bit guessing, but super athletic, big physical, can get burned, but he can get interceptions. And to me, like this, this the number one thing this defense needs is is people to intercept the ball. And I'm okay with it's crazy as it sounds. Like I'm okay with giving up big plays and gains from opposing offenses. You play in a division with Russell Wilson and Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan. You're going to give up big plays. But I want guys who can take the ball away, can be game changers on the back end, and give Kyler Murray another possession and, and flipping field position. And some of these guys can do that. Breland's a name. You know, Quentin Dunbar's gotten his fair share. Sherman and Butler are obviously the two at the, the high end that have done it the longest. Um, but then the kid from Pittsburgh, Stephen, uh, I can't think of his last name, that was just released. He's, I think he, he has a chance to be a high-end number two corner. You know, the longer this goes, though, Blake, I, I do think they're going to come out of free agency before the draft with two guys signed. Now, what kind of quality is going to be there? I don't know. If they're just trying to flood the, the position with a bunch of number two, three, four corners, that could be the case. But, I mean, like, it's a it's a strong cornerback class specifically in the in the first round. And so maybe Kime and company feel good that, you know, a Caleb Fairley, a Patrick Sertain, you know, God love him if he's available, a J.C. Horn, one of the premier, I know they've worked out Asante Samuel Jr., the Cardinal DV coach was putting him through his workouts. So they're they're all in on this cornerback market, you would assume, in the draft as well. But they also have a third-round pick. So it just kind of be interesting, but I do think it, it's a safe bet to assume one of their first two picks is going to be in the secondary. But you know, I'll throw it back to you, Blake. I mean, what what do you make of 
time kind of slow playing what a lot of people assume was their biggest need coming into free agency well before the J.J. Watt signing. Yeah, I think the biggest question you have is how much of this is, say, a smarter move to be able to essentially look at the J.J. Watt signing saying, cool, this means that by having the ability to rush four, we can drop back seven in coverage. We already talked about how the safety position for the Cardinals uh, entering last year was maybe the deepest one on the team. I I would still expect in some capacity they could bring back Chris Banjo, um, be able to add to that room. Jalen Thompson is hopefully going to have a bounce back and perhaps healthier season. You're talking also about Isaiah Simmons and his flexibility to, you know, play a bit of slot corner like he did in college, to play a bit of um, safety like he did last year. Some of that flexibility we've even talked about is part of why they brought back Tanner Vallejo, a guy who you can trust to be that third linebacker. So that way, if you're, you know, blitzing Simmons off of the edge as a pass rusher or dropping him back into the free safety spot. I think that there's some flexibility you can see with the Cardinals that you might not need to go and get these man coverage lockdown corners. You can, you know, do what the Seattle Seahawks did with their Legion of Boom. You can do what the San Francisco 49ers did and be able to play a lot of uh, cover three where essentially you're, you know, playing a bit more zone coverage. You're kind of reading the quarterback. Guys are getting to their faster, able to then get more turnovers. Now, what's interesting is, you know, with Patrick Peterson talking about how he reached out to the Vikings, uh, seemingly the Cardinals didn't really maybe even make an offer to Patrick Peterson. It seems like they may have thought that he was cooked. I think as far as playing that full-time man coverage role, definitely. Perhaps there would have been a spot him. The names that stand out here to me, I think, are obviously the two big names being Malcolm Butler and Richard Sherman. Sherman has always been very savvy as far as the way he'll do and take contracts. He's still a big name. Interesting that he seems like as far as if the Cardinals do shift to that cover three thing, even at an older age, he still may be a bit of a fit, still a physical player, will still get burned from time to time. Butler is the other big name. But the ones that seem, John, to be able to want to be the ones that maybe are these kind time signs. Uh, Gary and Conley was a guy who, you know, I've heard his name mentioned once or twice. He missed all of 2020. He's going to come back in, try to prove himself a year, probably take a veteran minimum one year deal. And that to me, I think is part of where if the Cardinals, this is a all or nothing sort of approach. I think that Kime is taking because let's say you go into the season with, um, you know, Casey Hayward, Gary and Conley, and a first-round rookie alongside Robert Alford. Let's say Alford, you know, if he is unable to stay healthy or let's say his quality of play may have just declined from some of these injuries, you're then essentially betting a playoff-heavy year on this cornerback group being able to play competent. You don't have to be elite, but being able to be at least as good as the Cardinals were last year and hoping that the pass rush makes it better. So in that case, John, it's kind of an all-or-nothing type of approach that you're having from Steve Kime, which is a little bit atypical. So what we'll see as far as with the likes of what you talked about is if the Cardinals go and say, hey, all right, we freed up some money from Justin Pugh, here's our offer to Steven Nelson, they can get that deal locked up, maybe it's this week or sometime next week, suddenly you're like, okay, they've got a number two guy who maybe you know is not quite a number one, you can bring another guy for the vet minimum, you've got Byron there, you have Alford there, you're probably going to draft a guy you'd think either in round one or round two unless they you know decide to go all on all in on offense it's a spot where this is really risky i still think regardless of what goes on for steve kime and to me i think it's 
almost a detractor jump. We talked about for a long time about the Cardinals finding a guy who could take over for, and be the number two next to Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, essentially, they weren't able to ever find that guy after Anquan Bolden left. They just moved on to DeAndre Hopkins when Fitz became the number two. Now we don't know as far as if Larry Fitzgerald's coming back. We'll get to that near the end of the show with uh, kind of a new potential take on that. We're also looking at how they never found a cornerback to take over after Patrick Peterson. Right. And what's unique is they still haven't found what Steve Kimes said about Byron Murphy being a slot corner. I have no issues with him being a slot corner at 33. Those guys are pretty much full-time starters. It's hard just to find decent corner play. And we found that in Byron Murphy. And considering how some of these elite slot receivers have to get deep or are able to do damage, you think at least how Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen were just you know, making a living in the slot for a long, long time about how Hopkins can move in there. I don't have as much of an issue as some people have had. We saw Byron at least can play fine outside. Some of that may be, you know, if he can play a bit of safety in the middle of the field. Put guys into areas of strengths versus, you know, putting pressure on a guy when he is not in that area of strength and then try to make him into something he's not. So the example I'll throw back at least with you, John, for that is think of the Cardinals taking a all-pro level special teamer in Justin Bethel and then paying him and trying to make him their number two cornerback only to release him a few years down the line. He ends up getting, you know, signed and is now extended with the New England Patriots who always seem to have cornered the special uh, the special teamers market. When you're talking about making a guy something he's not, I am fine with leaving Byron Murphy where he is. The issue is if Kime hasn't been able to figure out how to fix this corner spot and the Cardinals fall back into this 2019, you know, bottom three in the league type of passing defense, what's going to be kind of the case as far as how you're going to grade Kime? What's the leash that you're going to be able to give on him? Because that is a whole lack of preparation, and that's exactly what the general manager of a team is supposed to do, is to be able to say, hey, coach, you prepare for the now, I'll be the one who prepares for the future, and I don't feel like that they've done a solid job of that. If anything, let's say they signed Nelson, you could look at it and say, man, they didn't really figure out a way to upgrade the center position, they got lucky because the Raiders had to release a guy. If they sign Nelson, you almost say, hey, same thing, we didn't expect him to be available. It kind of feels, I think, the phrase that one of our friends had talked about was, it seems like almost Kime would be failing upward, <laughs> making it where it's not necessarily of his own accord. It's just taking advantage of what the rest of the league does, which is, it's fine. I'd rather, you know, have the talent behind that. But it does make, I think, a lot heavy level of skepticism about if the Cardinals are going to kind of luck into one of these runs, is it sustainable long-term? And I think a lot of that depends on what goes on in the first round of this year. And as we've seen, John, that it's not a good place if you have to depend on a first-round rookie to fill a major, major role in this team. And that's something the Cardinals have had to fight ever since, I think, that 2016-2017 seasons when they drafted Kimdichi and Reddick, and neither one of them turned out to be a hit. Yeah, I, here's what I will say, that the Cardinals have had a preconceived elite or high-end secondary for the better part of the last three to four years when I think that outside of flashes from Byron Murphy and then the the elite play of Buda Baker, that's really not the case. Um, And that deals with, you know, overarching issues defensively as a whole anyway. But Patrick Peterson had a coverage grade last year of 48 if you're into advanced metrics, if you're into pro football focus, which we know the Cardinals are analytic heavy. So Peterson has a coverage grade of sub-50, as does Drake Kirkpatrick. He was at 45. 
So you've got their top two corners on the roster last year, not grading out well in coverage. So what I think is that assuming that they do come out of this free agency with one notable cornerback that can consistently play outside for them, I, I do think they're going to be okay. Um, I, I do think they're going to throw a rookie in there for better or for worse. I mean, listen, this is this, I know this was like 13 years ago, but Dominique Rogers cromartie was, this, I think, the 16th overall pick, and they, they went to the Super Bowl, and he was their number one corner. That was like ages ago, but I think that I, I am not somebody. I, I think the NFL, in my opinion, is one with co- elite quarterback play and then up front on the line of scrimmage. And the Cardinals have done a nice job solidifying their line of scrimmage this offseason. The Hudson and Watt additions, you cannot undersell I just or oversell, or however you want to phrase it. I, I do think that corner, to me, is sometimes overvalued. And there was a really nice series of tweets that I, I guarantee you I'm not going to be, be able to find now on the spot that outside of the elite level corners in, that do not hit the free agent market, Jalen Ramsey doesn't hit the free agent market. The, the, the high end, Stephon Gilmore in his prime, right? The mid-tier cornerback market, typically when they're paid in free agency, big money, none of them work out. And I do think that you can find, I mean, Steve hasn't shown an ability to do this, so take this with a grain of salt, but I do think that you are able to find quality corners throughout the entire NFL draft, whereas in comparison, Defensive line, offensive line, they only make certain sized human beings uh, only so often, right? And those guys get snatched up pretty quickly. And I'd, of course, throw quarterback into that group as well. But here, I actually did find the treat. So Warren Sharp of Sharp Football tweeted this out. Free agent cornerbacks that signed for 10 plus million in the last four years of free agency. Josh Norman 2000 or was signed for 15 million. He's gone. Tremaine Johnson was a disaster for the Jets. 14.5 million. He's gone. Revis to the Jets got cut 15 14 million. AJ Bouye who's available now 3.13.5 million. He's out. Stefan Gilmore still in-house, but of course they'd like to move off of him. Jonoris Jenkins for the Giants, 12.5 million. He got cut. And then Malcolm Butler, who's available, 12 million, got cut. So I do think that they can find capable corners now um i'm just surprised that they've waited this long but maybe blake like you said maybe he falls upward maybe you know a couple high-end number two corners fall into his lap and i i think with this front seven you know i'm not the biggest jordan hicks fan because he was he was that bad last year and vance joseph is is never going to be todd bowles to me but this front seven has a chance to be really good. I mean, heck, they've put in so many resources to it. Zach Allen was a high-end third-round pick. Jordan Phillips was their big addition last year. Simmons, J.J. Watt, Chandler Jones, Marcus Golden. They have a real chance to be an elite front seven. And then you look at the the, the secondary, and it's got maybe the, the one or two best safeties in the NFL in Buda Baker. And we like Jalen Thompson, and we like Deontay Thompson, and they could take another. So it's just like, okay, well, what are they going to do at corner? So I, I do think that that can be a complementary position for this defense. And I also think that maybe one offseason we give Vance Joseph the benefit of the doubt to pick a couple corners, cheaper corners on the free agent market that fits what he wants to do so you're not shoehorning players like Peterson into, into his scheme. And it always kind of felt that way to me. But I am... I'll reserve judgment. Now, if we're sitting here and it's April 24th and we're about to have the draft and it's still Byron Murphy all alone with, you know, 
Robert Alford, who hadn't played football in two years and is on a vet minimum contract, then, you know, you're showing your hand to the rest of the NFL that you're praying to, to the dear Lord above that, you know, one of these elite level corners is going to fall to you at 16. Kime has always done, say what you want about him, has always done a pretty good job of filling all of his needs ahead of the draft, even if they're filled by the Sam Bradfords of the world, that he's not showing his cards come come round one. So I don't think that they're going to go into the draft with a huge glaring hole at corner. So everybody knows that they want Patrick Sertain or Caleb Farley or whomever. Right. I think they're going to have a couple capable vets added. When and who? I have no idea. We have no insight. Um, and he'll be able to go BPA. Or what I think he'll do is I think I think he's itching to trade down into the twenties to recoup that third plus that he lost. So. We'll see. It's uh, we, we were hoping to record today. We waited a little longer into the week, hoping we'd have news on a corner, and it just it hasn't come yet. Even Blake and I are refreshing Twitter as we record. Just they haven't added news, and we haven't even talked about, Blake, that Dan Arnold's no longer on the team, and they probably need another tight end. And that's the thing I think a lot of Cardinals fans have maybe not assumed that Dan Arnold would be back, but we've at least seen part of the Cardinals, I guess you could say limitations in some cases, are... Um, because of the fact they're a competitive team, because there's at least a bit more of the cap that's there, I think they're not going to necessarily splash and overpay to keep some of their own guys. What we talked about was we thought Dan Arnold, you know, was going to be potentially back on a, you know, type of, that he wasn't really a restricted free agent. There was at least enough where if another team was going to be able to sign him, he could leave. We all thought, all right, just going to be back at least maybe kind of a minimum. Maybe you do an original round tender. He was a undrafted free agent. Instead, they kind of allow him to test the market. Panthers signed him to a two-year deal. Essentially, I think it's about $3 million or so per year. And John, like I think I mentioned this to you, Arnold only had about like 31 catches last year. The projections that people were putting up for him in the offense were like 35 catches, like six touchdowns. He ended up getting probably about 31 or so of those catches, about half of that number of touchdowns. Uh, obviously, at least the Cardinals having Kyler Murray emerge as a rushing threat in the red zone was you know, not surprising to people who watched him in Oklahoma. It was more surprising in the context of 2019. What is interesting is that you know, Arnold may be making like, you know, 100000 per catch over the next two years, and that's probably a lot more than the Cardinals are willing to pay for a tight end. There's upside that you'll have for some players who are athletic with some of that size, but there is always a limitation you're going to have on some of those guys. You think of Ifeani Moma, you think of how uh, in the past the Cardinals have had, you know, a guy like, I think of Jermaine Gresham, they previously went with Kime, essentially kept him on a one-year deal, then overpaid him for the next three years, and it turned into a huge, you know, dead cap portion where they had to release him. That's something I think they weren't willing to do again. Now, obviously, in the light of the fact that Max Williams is also a free agent, uh, Darrell Daniels, I believe, was hurt last year as well. Uh, they just really have a pretty empty room for that right now. I don't even know if they have anyone specifically who's there on the roster your guess is that they're probably going to be at least trying to factor that in with either a vet minimum and i don't wouldn't be too concerned about it remember this team didn't find max williams until partway through training camp and he came in at least coming off of injuries had a solid first season had an injury riddled second season so i think that as far as this offense is concerned it stands out more john because the cardinals are like i think they're the only team in the NFL that has never had a 100-yard uh, tight end receiver 
in a single game. And they came close with Dan Hartle on four catches for 75 yards against the Rams. I think that'll be where they'll miss him the most. He His production against the Rams was like, I think he would average or something like that, like about, you know, 60 yards and two touchdowns against the Rams in his career against them. That's the area I think you may miss him the most. Uh, but overall, it just kind of seems to question, John, like, this is more of where the nitty-gritty comes in of being able to hit on either a late-round pick or a cheap free agent, kind of that time-time sign. It's going to be super important for the Cardinals because there's a hole that you weren't maybe expecting at tight end. You're already having to get another guy in the room anyway. You look then also at the running back room and say, all right, you got Eno Benjamin coming back. He lost out on carries to John, uh, was it Jonathan Ward. Um, maybe JoJo Ward can come in for some of the Trent Shurfield. I know they liked him off of the practice squad last year. But really, then the holes that you've got at tight end, as well as the hole at running back, right now the Cardinals, um, we talked for a little bit at least, and I had talked about how uh, my favorite overall target for the Cardinals in the offseason wasn't even necessarily uh, a free agent running back. It was more of don't commit a huge amount of money to a free agent running back. And don't necessarily sign a running back who, you know, comes into camp and then is just like, oh, this guy is just terrible. We're cutting him like, you know, three days after he come in and we see him. You want to get a guy who at least can kind of sustain, carry the rock, do enough in the passing game, but isn't a player who's good enough that will prevent the Cardinals from drafting a guy. And kind of where I felt like the sweet spot is in round two this year. You look for past years of the likes of J.K. Dobbins went in round two. Derrick Henry went in round two. Even the Packers finding an Eddie Lacy went in round two. He was productive for two or three years before, you know, he decided to just eat a little bit too much Taco Bell or whatever it was that caused him to gain that weight. There's a few guys that are still out there as far as with big names like Leonard Fournette, Todd Gurley. Gurley especially just was a terrible signing for Atlanta last year. Um, DeAndre Washington, who played for Cliff Kingsbury, Texas Tech, a smaller guy is out there. That's, I think, another spot that we'll see filled at some point during the season. But it's really interesting, John, because between that and the open quarterback market, there's a couple of, I guess you could say, key gaps on the team where it puts a lot of pressure onto the fact that the Cardinals, by giving up that third-round pick for Rodney Hudson, kind of pushes them into a weird aspect of, okay, let's let's say they can manage to bring in a quarterback you're still missing at least a young corner you want to have around for the long term. You still probably are going to have to look past the likes of A.J. Green and Christian Kirk for next year. You've got, you know, one-year deals for both of those. And then obviously the cornerbacks, like we've talked, uh, I should say the um, I say the running back market, there's three of those spots. And by giving up that third-round pick, you're kind of, like you said, John, either looking into a trade-back type of scenario or looking into really having to count on a rookie coming in and playing and delivering at a high level. And we have not seen that since the 2015 Cardinals, um, where they were able to get two guys and Marcus Golden and uh, David Johnson, not to mention even Rodney Gunter in the fourth round. Cardinals traded up for him. Yeah. That was a phenomenal draft class for the Cardinals by hitting on three rookies in a draft class were able to catapult themselves the problem is you can't really count on that year. You hope that you get stuff with rookies. Sometimes you get a hugely like well-beloved uh, pick like Isaiah Simmons to the Cardinals, and he doesn't spend a whole lot of time on the field. And then you go back and look at a Dale Buchanan, who a lot of people like, yeah, he'll be their backup safety probably behind Tyron, may get some play this year. You know, they've got Tony Jefferson in front of him. And he goes and creates this new big nickel linebacker that became an NFL fad for two or three seasons. It's really hard to know because it's still a bit of throwing darts at a dartboard. 
And that, I think, is something that Cardinals fans will probably not feel too comfortable or confident about that up until all these different spots are filled. In that case, John, you're kind of playing the waiting game until the end of April in the draft. Yeah, I, I think, Blake, historically, this team has not drafted well in the first round. And on top of that, not only do they not draft well, their rookies don't play. And it's twofold. And that's why, unfortunately, you're seeing them consistently have to add Band-Aid level players in free agency. I mean, if you listen to Kime's comments, he'd like to build through the draft. He wants to get comp picks. He doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to be in on Rodney Hudson and J.J. Watt every offseason. I mean, it's nice now you're able to splurge with Kyler's contract, but I mean, like, in a perfect world, Isaiah Simmons would have played 90% of snaps last year, and, and everybody would be projecting him to be potentially a Pro Bowl-level player this year. Um, that's just not the case. I mean, he's an unknown. Zach Allen's an unknown. Byron Murphy is somewhat of an unknown, at least playing outside for 16 games. Isabella, I think, is more of a known now and just not a very good player. I mean, just that's the disappointing part. Josh Jones was always a developmental guy, but, I mean, like, if he doesn't start at right guard, that's another pick that's not playing. So, to me, I just I feel like we're at a point now with we know to just believe this this administration and the staff with what they've told you in the past. We know they don't love playing rookies, especially Vance Joseph doesn't play rookies on the back end. Now he may be forced to based on pure numbers alone if they don't add a couple corners before the draft, but they're not great at developing young players. I think that you could make an argument that that Kyler and Buddha and some of their standouts have have developed in spite of the organization at times, and that's just not a good place to be. Um, I, I would think that Isaiah Simmons' development last year was hampered a little bit by how the coaching staff han- handled it. Uh, and playing a, a Band-Aid free agent, De- Devondre Campbell, over the eighth overall pick, I just, I'll just i never understand that, especially as we hit the midseason point and Campbell and Hicks both looked gassed. So it just I'm a little bit numb to the draft process when it comes to this team until they can show you again that they are able to hit on first-round picks. I mean, Rod Graves was not a great general manager, but he brought in a slew of talent in the draft, and that was their pipeline. And I think that Kime, for all that he does well, he, he's a he's a nice addition of talent via the trade market. I think they handle the cap relatively well, and he won a bunch of games with Bruce Arians, but he's never consistently drafted well. And a lot of the success that they had early on was banking on older players and we saw older players begin to break down and so as he's trying to develop this new nucleus of of cardinal football you've got a guy's just kind of all over the age gap you've got the kylers and the buddhas that you're excited about and i would put dj humphreys in that category as well and then there's a gap and then there's guys in the middle of their career maybe aren't super high end and now they're signing a bunch of older free agents to try to help even out the culture i mean they just they have to do a better job developing and having a, a specific plan in place for the for the players that they bring in. They didn't have a plan in place for Isaiah Simmons, and it was obvious. They really didn't have a plan in place for for Byron Murphy um, or Andy Isabella. You could argue. I mean, Kyler was the only one because you knew exactly what you had in him and what you needed to get out of him. And thankfully, that's that's worked out. If if it hadn't, it would be an even more disastrous scenario. So, whomever they take at sixteen, whatever they do. And that's why, like, I it's not my preference to take a running back in the first round, certainly not at 16. I wouldn't warrant that at all. 
But given this team's draft history, Kimes draft history, and where this team is right now, trying to reach the the postseason for the first time since 2015, like taking a first round back in a trade down into the 20s that you're going to recoup a third and maybe a fifth, which you do not have right now. And you're taking the kid, Travis Etienne from, from Clemson. You're taking the kid from Alabama in the 20s. And if you have a plan for that individual and you're going to say, okay, this is our new franchise back and we're going to give him 250 to 300 touches next year. And he's going to start. We're still going to incorporate Chase Edmonds, but you're our guy. If you have a plan in place and you ride that individual, if Najee Harris is their pick, they trade back with Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh comes up to take a quarterback. They get Pittsburgh second. And they take Najee Harris, and they have a plan in place for Najee Harris to succeed. I, I'm totally fine with that being a running back because we've seen that rookie running backs can come in and have really impressive spouts for the next four to five years. If you're Steve Kime, if you're the Cardinal organization, you're living for the next five years. You're not thinking about a second contract for Najee Harris. You're thinking about next October when you're playing the Seahawks and you're running Najee Harris behind Rodney Hudson against their defensive line to secure a victory in the fourth quarter. That's where their mind has to be. And too often than not, They've played this long, slow play developmental game where it's like you're taking Hassan Reddick in 2017, you're forcing him out of position, but then also you have Marcus Golden and Chandler Jones, at outside linebacker, so he can't find playing time there. And then, of course, with DJ Humphreys, slow playing that. Like you mentioned, Dayon Buchanan. Pick a player in the first round that you know is going to have a significant role next year because as much as we're lauding over this roster, and it's the best it's been in a while, it's not certainly not perfect, and it's not without its holes that we've that we've analyzed so far. So again, I don't care if it's a wideout, a corner, a running back, whatever. Pick a player, and you you just you can't go BPA. You can't take a tackle and sit a tackle behind Kelvin Beecham in a break, make or break year. Not at 16. You can't take a a defensive end that's not going to play over J.J. Watt and Jordan Phillips and Zach Allen and the two rookies that you took last year. I mean, you can't do it. You need to take a player, whether it's Jalen Waddell or Patrick Sertain or Najee Harris or the kid, the wideout from Florida or whomever, that's like, okay, you're going to come in and you're going to play X amount of snaps per game, and that's going to go up as the season goes on. And by the end of the season, you're going to be one of our players on the rise. That's how it should work. But for whatever reason, this organization, they act like they're consistently picking in the mid to late 20s, that they have the benefit of the doubt, like the Patriots or the Packers that can take Jordan Love, that can take players later, that they can slow play their development. The Cardinals are typically picking in the top 10, the top 12, the top 20, which means they didn't make the postseason, which means they need help. For whatever reason, they've been more inclined to take Band-Aid free agents and insert them into the starting lineup instead of these valuable assets that are cheap, that are ready to contribute. So I'm pretty numb right now to this process, but I I am hopeful that this is the year Kime understands that I have to win 10-plus games this year. I'm going to lose my job. Who can help me do that on on a roster right now that's not perfect? Yep. Sure, and I think that's also the pressure you look at. Of Steve Kime signed a five-year contract extension in 2018. That was then the off-season where you know they hired Steve Wilkes, they brought in Mike McCoy. He had a DUI, Quentin Harris, um, who we've talked about in the past at least, is a guy that we like as far as a potential 
uh, future GM candidate. Has worked his way up. Has done a lot of the uh, you know, heavy lifting. Just kind of a different voice that would be there. Maybe you bring in an outside type of presence at least for the most part. The benefit, at least, of the NFL's new minority rulings would probably give the Cardinals at least uh, two third-round compensatory picks as well. That's something that Steve Kime has to have staring at him in the face. And so, John, I think what you're saying is, in order to prove that he's going to have to be the guy who goes out and earns that contract extension, not only does Arizona have to win this year, I think he has to prove that he can not just be a guy who simply... You know, can land a big splash free agent at 32, but to be able to bring in and add in young talent outside of, you know, essentially being able to learn from the mistakes. You talk about how they missed on Rosen. You talk about how, you know, there's different players that we've talked about, the failed opportunities that the Cardinals have had with some of these young draft picks. Maybe some of that falls onto the coaching staff, but in that regard, you know, Kime's the one who brings in the coaches. Cliff, as we've talked about, doesn't have a lot of NFL connections. I think a lot of it hinges on him. And if he can be able to go and hit a home run with his upcoming draft and prove it with those picks, I think it'll be a bit easier to look at the Cardinals as a team on the rise. Maybe you just say, all right, do it one more time just in case, you know, these contracts are guaranteed. Michael may not want to, you know, necessarily, you know, renew Steve's deal um, right away. And then suddenly the Cardinals, you know, have an injury and take a tumble. Let's talk a bit about the draft as we kind of wrap up today before we get to the last second fits talk, because right now with some of what we're seeing with the draft, John is a little, and we'll get into a lot more of this obviously next week as we truly kick off kind of our draft season with speculation. A lot of the current draft setup seems to be there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks going early. There's going to be, you know, questions about the draft hinges kind of at two or three, depending on the decision the Jets make at quarterback. It seems if they're, you know, not going to, um, you know, go with Zach Wilson, who's the most often guy that's been mocked there, they'd either have a choice to make between Justin Fields and keeping Sam Darnold. And a lot of people are assuming that they're going to be essentially giving up Sam Darnold to another team. Uh, there's going to be at least a couple of wide receivers and weapons that are going to be taken with the likes of Kyle Pitts. There's some teams that need uh, some other aspects. The one that's interesting, at least, John, is there's some teams like the Broncos, the Cowboys, even the Niners could all potentially use cornerbacks. Uh, the Patriots uh, had a second-round tender on J.C. Jackson. McCordy is getting older. The fact of the matter is, at least, you're seeing kind of a positives for two of these corners this year and a negative for one. The negative, obviously, being Caleb Farley, the cornerback from Virginia Tech. He sat out the 2020 season, came off of a bad uh, injury that kind of cost him the season uh, in 2019. He's had back issues, at least for the most part, is getting kind of a back procedure won't be working out, won't really be healthy, at least by the time of the draft. He's supposed to be back for training camp. But one of the comments, you know, that some scouts have said is there's nobody who used to have a bad back and suddenly they're cured of it. It's more of better ways to manage that bad back. Meanwhile, Patrick Sertan and J.C. Horn both had phenomenal combines. Sertan, especially with his straight line speed, you know, running in the high 4.4s at a 200, I think it's like 205, 210-pound uh, weight, just a physical freak. Uh, he's also a guy who, you know, is great straight line speed, maybe not as much of that twitchy response for Cardinals fans who scouted CD Lamb heavily last year from the Kyler Murray connection. No, when he was a freshman, Lamb just owned him in that Alabama um, semifinal game. Horn ran in uh, 4.39 as of today. A lot of people are wondering if he is going to be kind of the best corner in the class, and that's caused a lot of Cardinals fans to look at, you know, some of the likes of attention that they've paid to Greg Newsome, attention paid to Asante Samuel Jr. Yeah. The, even the fact that the Cardinals, you know, they, we know that they like the likes of Travis Etienne. 
the fact that you could probably get one of these running backs after a trade back, it just has you wondering, is it possible, John, that all of these top talents or these kind of quick fixes that the Cardinals may be trying to look at may not be there at 16? Yes. And if that's the case, then you're going to be probably looking at a very different type of draft for the Cardinals where, you know, if a top talent doesn't fall to them, we'll get to that one of those mock drafts before uh, right after this. But I want to hear your thoughts. Do you think at least that Cardinals fans are putting all of these eggs in the basket of, oh, yeah, J.C. Horn will be there at 16, and we're not so sure that's going to be the case? No, I don't I don't think that's at all a lock. I think that he just cemented himself as certainly a top 20 pick. I'm looking at a couple different rankings right now that had him before today, kind of hanging out in the 20s as an overall ranking. I, I don't know how he is in the, the, at least the second corner taken. To me, you compounded Caleb Farley's notion that he opted out this year. That personal choice, but we don't have tape on him since 2019, and he's hurt. Um, to, to me, I, I don't think you can spend a, a top 15 pick on a, on a player like that. I think, I think he'll still be a first-rounder, and somebody could roll the dice and, and hit it big on, on who could. I mean, Caleb Farley has elite tape, but it's from two years ago. I don't think that's going to be Kimes M.O., especially from, from the ACC. But Patrick Sertain... And J.C. Horn played in the SEC, played last year at the highest level. And J.C. Horn specifically, I mean, I, I don't want to downplay what Patrick Sertain did yesterday. He looks like a linebacker playing cornerback, and he's phenomenal. Both he and Horn, I think, are are very solid top 15 picks. Not solid players, but like I, I, I don't see them escaping the top 15, 16 picks. Um, of course, that one or both could fall to Arizona, but I... I think if if either player is there, I think that that will be the pick at this point because there is such a glaring need at corner. And I do think both are not quick fixes, but like both of them have number one corner attributes. They're both over six foot, high end speed. I mentioned the highest caliber play at the SEC, physical. I mean, they, they look the part. But then, like you mentioned, Blake, it's like, okay, well, do you, if Devontae Smith falls to you, which like people, can, everybody keeps telling me I'm crazy to, to, to suggest he could fall he's he's 170 pounds he's six foot i mean he's got a similar frame not height wise but a frame to hollywood brown who i thought was an elite level prospect and he went in the late 20s to to baltimore i know smith's tape is ungodly and it's just it's something we may never see again at the collegiate level but i mean like the difference is is it's not uh, you know scouts don't care about heisman trophies and 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 trophies at the collegiate level i mean evan weaver i think won pac-12 defensive player of the year and poor guy couldn't make a team last year and was on the cardinals practice squad jamar chase big physical same with jalen waddle big physical um so i i would say that you know they're gonna have options i think the biggest thing for me blake is i go back and forth with i i know kime desperately will want to move down to just recoup one of his lost picks whether it's in the third round or or the fourth round or hey if he's if he's feeling it maybe you go way back in the 20s and you get an additional second because his sweet spot is day two that's when he's had the majority of his success Buda Baker and John Brown and David Johnson Tyron Matthew I mean he he has found his elite level players outside of Kyler Murray on day two and so it's going to be a long break so it's over 110 picks right now that they don't have a pick between when they pick when they pick in the second when they pick in the fifth. So I just and I think when you're tr- talking about a trade down in the second, you're not going to get a third unless you go all the way to the back end of the second. So I do think that his mo, depending on who's there, and it, again, Patrick Sertain falls, 
We don't know what they feel like about some of these other players, but if an elite level prospect like Patrick Sertain falls, I think they'll pick him. But I think I think he's got a, a class where a lot of these other there's there's a cutoff, right, of some of these higher end players, especially if there's a run on quarterback quarterbacks, some of these guys are gonna get pushed down. So I do think his first preference, if I had to put money on it, is to deal down slightly if he can to recoup a pick. But it's like you're weighing then if, if you think Patrick Sertain is going to be an all-pro corner, you can't pass on him for an additional third. Same with Devontae Smith. So I, that's going to be a very difficult decision for Steve to make because I know how much he loves his, his picks. But you got Rodney Hudson suiting up for you this fall. Right, and that's where they may be trapped also, John. I was going to say, yeah, they gave up a pick for Rodney Hudson. They also gave up that fourth. Uh was part of the DeAndre Hopkins trade. I don't think you're going to find a single Cardinals fan who regrets giving up either of those. Right. The other thing, though, about it is we think about the Cardinals in 2018. They were kind of held hostage to have to trade up for the likes of Josh Rosen because even though Miami did not like Rosen, they were afraid that, you know, if Miami wasn't going to potentially take a quarterback, they jumped into the top ten. There could have been other teams that would have jumped ahead of Arizona at 15, knowing that there was probably going to be pressure. And when you look at the Patriots at pick at 15, a lot of people are saying, hey, they just really need a quarterback. They also could use a cornerback. What happens if the Patriots, there's a quarterback who's there, Patriots don't take them, someone else trades up ahead of the Cardinals, as we've seen happen in the past, because Steve gets kind of, you know, they get forced into some of these situations where they don't have a plethora of picks to be able to go up and get some of their guys. So that's another possibility and that's where when you talk about with the likes of uh smith falling i think that's kind of going to be something there's a mock draft that we also saw from pro football focus here they put out a mock draft where essentially the quarterbacks go early they see at least that the wide receivers due to the depth of some of that class fall and a lot of teams kind of say all right we're going to take the farleys first we'll take horn first we'll take you know so tan first i don't know if the cardinals would you know take farley depending on that health that's going to be a very interesting aspect to see where he ends up going you may not just say hey yeah well, there's going to be potentially a more reliable talent there they had jalen waddle falling to 16 with arizona and i do wonder john if the more you look at some of it what i've kind of felt is the wide receiver class this year it's deep but it's also uber talented like i think that uh we've even seen with a 439 from i think it was 62 rashad bateman who you and i both are very high on he reminds us kind of of a, a mini hopkins in some regards he's still a pretty slender guy but he just gets open and has like hands that like the ball comes in like a magnet and then you look at Rondale Moore who you know I, I joked at least he's he's smaller than Kyler Murray at five foot seven runs what looks to be about a four two nine at his pro day and jumps a higher vertical than DK Metcalf at 42 inches so you're talking about you know a freak type of athlete I think that well you're right that the Cardinals may want to trade back but it is possible that if one of those kind of elite talents you know or even maybe they end up in a spot where a guy like a uh, Tevin Jenkins, who's an offensive lineman, you know, take him, sit him for a year. Maybe you can, you know, look at uh, potentially moving him at a tackle or just keeping adding to some of the offensive line if that's a guy you like on your board. I don't think that's as likely. I think the Cardinals, like you said, John, are going to be looking for more of a quick fix. We'll get more into some of those rankings and talking about some of those receivers next week. Uh, but as we wrap up today, uh, let's always kind of do as Fitzwatch 2021 takes place. Still no news on that front. He sent out several tweets, some other congratulations. It's kind of dodged some of the question. I want to propose this to you, John. What if Fitzgerald 
Some have wondered if he's going to, you know, leave to go to the box on like a one-year deal. Or some people have wondered if, you know, he's just waiting kind of to announce some of the retirement for the, the right time. Cardinals may know. What if this is a possibility for Fitz? Let's say the Cardinals have already offered him, although they said we'll make it work, a one-year, say like $3 million deal if he wants to come back and he doesn't have to decide up until training camp starts. Like he can sit out a lot of the off-season workouts, sit out most of that, and when training camp starts, you know, he can even, you know, miss the first few padded practices, keep his body in shape, and come back if he wants to. Is that something that we can think of for Fitzgerald, or is this a spot where he's not really going to want to take that type of a role? And some of the Vikings beat writers saying, "Hey, Larry, get, we need a number three receiver. Get get over here. We'll pay you pretty well for a, a one year deal, so you can, you know, retire as the former Vikings ball boy." Do you think at least that this is a spot where Cardinals fans should feel, you know, confident and comfortable that Fitz is never going to play in another? Uh, team's colors, or is this a spot where a lot of fans are getting kind of maybe not rightfully nervous, but are in a spot wondering, you know, what exactly is going on with Fitz as far as his decision? Since the assumption, obviously, John, is if he is going to retire, it's not going to be that he ever comes back out of retirement or changes his mind. It, it would be pretty much a final decision. Yeah, I say this with the most respect I can for, for Larry Fitzgerald. Who is paying Larry Fitzgerald more than Michael Bidwell? No one. No one is paying paying Larry multi multi millions of dollars at 38 years old, coming off a 400 yard season last year. Especially like what you're outlining, Blake, which I think is very reasonable. Um, it's not my my preference with this team. Uh, I would prefer they get younger, especially after they added AJ Green. But I could definitely see an open invitation to come back for training camp if he feels the itch to play. But, like, there's a good chance the Cardinals and a lot of other teams who could be interested in a veteran receiver services take a receiver high in this draft. So his options are going to be dwindling as it is. Um, now, maybe, I, 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 could you see a scenario in which this, a, a team needs a receiver during the season next year and maybe they reach out to him? Maybe. But I, you know, never say never. I would probably still lean on the side that he is going to retire, um, that, you know, I think his – the COVID scare, don't underestimate that. The fact that the Cardinals already added A.J. Green, and they've they've spent their free agent money on a, on a on their X and Y receiver already. Christian Kirk, they've lauded his ability to play the, the slot receiver position this year. I think they're going to take a receiver. They still have Isabella on the roster. Um, same with Keyshawn Johnson. And those guys need to play special teams. Larry's not coming to be your fourth receiver to not play special teams. It's just... The, the puzzle pieces have never fit for me. Um, I think if Fitz was going to come back, he would have announced it much earlier in the process. I have no idea what he's thinking right now, and everybody should give him his time and the respect he deserves. But I also just feel like Cardinals have paid him a lot of money, and he has delivered time and time again. But at some point, you know, father time catches up to us all. Everything that I've seen um, and read I, I just I think he's done. I think he's going to retire. I don't think there is a spot for him on this team in 2021. I just it just doesn't make sense with the, what they're trying to do with this offense and and adding you know younger players, receivers, backs, tight ends. The fact that you already have an older player now in in Green. I just don't think I I really do believe that when the Green signing was announced, that was it for Larry. But he probably has already let. Michael Bidwell and Steve Kime know what's going on and that, you know, he's taking his time with, he may just never make an announcement. I mean, that would be so Fitzgerald. It's just like, well, I'm not going to announce I'm not coming back or that I'm coming back. You just, I'm just not going to be, I'm not on the roster. He's a free agent. So I, again, people get 
very sensitive with this topic, and I, I can understand. He's the greatest Arizona Cardinal of all time and first ballot Hall of Famer. It's a shame he, he didn't have a chance to win a ring with this team. And I, I initially thought after the Watt signing that he might be back just because of the magnitude of that addition on the defensive side. Same caliber of player, Hall of Fame bound, Walter Payton Man of the Year type of guy. But I just think as this, as this has gone on longer, reading between the lines, I, I do really think he's going to retire. And that will do it for us on the Revenge of the Birds podcast today. Thank you guys again so much for tuning in. Again, if you're listening to us and are looking to subscribe, we'd love it if you could be able to leave some more of these uh, five-star reviews. Uh, those obviously are what help boost and get us most seen amidst the rest of the sea of other podcasts out there. Uh, you'd be able to have those on Apple Podcasts, places like Spotify, uh, as well as Google Podcasts, uh, places like iHeartRadio, Himalaya, all sorts of places you'll be able to listen to, and as well at RevengeOfTheBirds.com. For my co-host, uh, Johnny Venerable, I'm Blake Murphy. This has been the Revenge of the Birds podcast. <laughs>